welcome to the Coaching Question podcast. It's the podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and really, what is it all about? Join me, Sarah Turner, and my colleague, Gregor Finley, two executive coaches for an honest conversation. Today's question is, when is a coach qualified to coach and how do you know? And Gregor, this is something that you've brought to the podcast today. Would you like to just share a little bit about where this came or how this came up for you? Yeah, we had a reflective session as part of my professional body, APEX, the Association for Professional Executive uh, Coaches and Supervisors. And the reflection was, when is a coach qualified to coach and how do you know? And we found in group session, we had wildly different perceptions of that. It was really depend on who we were. Was that as the coach, as the stakeholder, as the coachee? And so it, it gave a really interesting dialogue and reflection. We thought that that's a great question for us to ask on the podcast. Brilliant. So, Greg, how do we know when a coach is qualified to coach? The thing that everybody agreed on was it never ends. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I think the, the coaches that are qualified to coach are saying, well, we're always working to qualify even more. But we were trying to get it down in the end. That, you know, could, could we put this down in sort of a series of phases that we recognize we went through ourselves or, or others are going through? Mm-hmm. So in framing this conversation, one of the things we thought about was that there are fewer people in the trade that only coach. Versus a a lot of people that pursue more of a portfolio of consultant, trainer and coach. So I think when we're thinking about the development of a coach, I think this is primarily about the development of of those that identify primarily as coaches. Yes. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we were reflecting on as we were preparing for today is is the journey that you go through. And And I remember way back when I first trained as a coach. So there was quite a lot of discussion around, you know, having your niche, you know, having the thing that people come to you to be coached on. And and did you hit that? So I think, you know, when I started out, I I started out positioning myself more as a career coach, which made sense given my background. But I soon realized that wasn't really the natural place for me to be and I think that the challenge with career coaching we've talked about this in another podcast is at times you can lean into more of a mentoring type of conversation and and what I really wanted was to do that more pure kind of executive coaching so I think there's definitely a journey that you go through as a coach as you evolve and you develop and you discover what interests you the work that you're good at the kinds of clients you enjoy working with the types of organizations you want to work with the kinds of outcomes that you enjoy you know, achieving. And so it doesn't mean that you can't have a niche or an area of specialism. You know, one of my areas of specialism now still is maternity coaching, but that's not the only thing I do. And I wouldn't only want to do that either because I enjoy the breadth of working with people on lots of different topics. I think that for some people, I certainly went through this thing of, well, you can coach anything and really didn't want to be pigeonholed. And I think that's also part of my personality. Uh, I, I was quite jealous of those that did find their niche early on. And I think that's that some coaches do find their niche and they dig into their niche and others that they don't want to focus on one thing. Yeah. But I think it helps clients when they can they can see what your niche is and then they may ask, oh, you, do you also do this other stuff? 
Yeah, and I think there's something around, as you say, from a client perspective, there's clarity there, isn't there? So it's almost like a sort of a product offer. So maternity coaching in many ways is a product offer. It's very specific and it will attract a particular kind of client or a particular kind of organisation. So it's quite it's quite easy to kind of hold on to and know what it is that you're you're purchasing if you want to think about it from that perspective. I, I think the early stage, you've got a lot of reliance on models. Yeah. Now, I, I remember early on in my career, I was heavily dependent on adopting a particular model when it happened to be grow like lots and lots of coaches. Mm. I certainly remember that as a starting phase and then it was collecting more knowledge and more models. Absolutely. And I think it's, um, I find it quite hard to articulate this, but I think for me, it's been, it's like a constant unfolding. It's like I, I kind of explore, I might go on a course or I might talk to someone or I might read a book and I suddenly realise, oh, there's a whole other way I can think about this or a whole new approach I can I can try. And you sort of experiment with it and you play around with it. And then it either becomes part of you, you sort of absorb it, if you like, into your overall approach and your overall practice, um, or you don't. But it becomes less of a, I need to go and use this model or I need to go and use this approach now. And it it's almost becomes just more of a natural part of how you are as a coach. I think that was one of the things that, came up in the conversation, the reflection at at Apex was, it it depends. Mm. Because I did, um, very early on in my career, I did some coach training. So it was uh, coaching skills for managers and we were adopting the GROW model. Mm. And I was horrified to hear, because this is definitely not what the training was about. But one of the individuals on this course, um, a manager of people, they really struggled with the whole approach. Mm-hmm. What they did was they got back to work and then they sat down with one of the employees with the grow model questions in front of them mm-hmm. and asked the grow model questions in turn. Uh, no nuance, no conversation, just asking the questions. And she came back and she said that was the best one-to-one she'd ever had and her employee <laughs> loved it. And it just goes to show that, that, you know, in one way, just adopting a model can be a fantastic transition for people. Yes. And you can have an absolutely fantastic coaching session at a very low level, I suppose, of coaching skill, as long as you're asking some of the good questions that are normally asked. Yeah. So it's, it's not to knock anybody at the start of their career because people can still get fantastic value Mm. out of those conversations. Mm. Yeah, and one of the things that I mentioned to you when we were preparing for this is is the value, well, we've talked a lot about the value of supervision, and I just think it's gold. I would never in a million years not have supervision because I've just learned absolutely buckets and buckets and buckets from being in supervision groups with outstanding coaches, but also the value for me of actually having coaching myself which when I first started coaching, I remember thinking, oh, I can't really, you know, that's quite an expensive outlay for me. I think I might go and do this course instead or something like that. But now, um, I mean, I've, I've had all sorts of coaching with different coaches, with different approaches and different philosophies, all of them good, but some of them great. And it's the, the experience of being coached by someone who 
just, you know, asks me those questions that I can't answer and that, that, that sit with me and bother me. And I take the dog for a walk and I'm like, oh, I can't answer that question. And, you know, really get me thinking that for me as a coach keeps me on my toes and gets me reflecting on my own practice and gets me just, well, just keep sharpens my edge, I suppose, is the phrase that I remember somebody using with me once. What I'm hearing is that I doubt that you would appreciate a coach now that was just using the grow model or just adopting the Oscar process or something like that. What sounds like what you're reacting to is the presence of the individual that you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. But again, I think that, and this is probably would take us into developmental levels and then again, another podcast that we've done, but I wonder whether there's something about my development as a coach and where I'm at now compared to where I was right at the start of my career and what that means in terms of the coach I need to work with. Yeah, because I I think, you know, there is a progression, which is, you know, it's about competency Mm. and that's executing a particular model well. Mm. And then you look at the competency frameworks that, you know, associations like the ICF and EMCC, et cetera, Mm -hmm. there's a clear competency framework and that fits well with, you know, thinking about the expert level of adult development. You know, you're doing it. Yep. There is a right and a wrong way. You know, there's clearly a right and a wrong way. And you'll hear people say things like, that isn't coaching. Yeah. Because it's not fitting in with this particular framework. Hmm. And then you would move on, I think, to capability. I, I think I've given you... I may have given people in the podcast the example of David Clutterbuck when he was running a competency centre, and it was a assessment centre rather, and he was assessing whether or not this organisation could employ these coaches. Mm-hmm. And the individual, the coach, was using the grow model, and he wanted a goal. He wanted to elicit a goal. He had to have a goal to proceed. Yeah, so he was demonstrating a competency, but then. The executive being coached turned around and said, I think I've just realised the thing is, I don't want to be here. And that coach's response was, yeah, but what's the goal you want to get out of this? And that would adhere to the competency model. It was not what that coach he needed right then. No. There was loads of other things he could have done. So clearly he didn't pass the assessment centre, but he would have passed the competency. Yes, in the sense of working to get clarity on what the client wants to get out of the coaching session. But the phrase that comes to mind as I hear you talk there is about, and I I do think this comes with confidence as a coach, is learning to dance in the moment. Yes. Because, you know, any model, any framework is only really as good as the person using it. And having that flexibility to recognise that actually, yes, in order for this to be a valuable coaching session, it would be useful for us to know what it is we're working on. But actually, in that moment, what was needed was to actually just pause for a moment because there was a realisation that had occurred for the client and to just examine that and go there, which would be dancing in the moment, which is the kind of stuff that comes with confidence. And know that the model is there, hold it lightly and revisit it if and when that feels right. Yeah, and the the thing was, again, it's a nuance. As I understand the example that was given, he wanted to get the goal for the coaching agreement, you know, the overall goal not the goal for this conversation but he wasn't he just wasn't willing to let go what needed to happen for this to satisfy the framework Mm. that he had in his head 
rather than what was the benefit for the for the coach. So I think that was a good example of maybe demonstrating competency but not capability. Yeah. What that really makes me think about is, and I think I think I share this with you, is when I was going through my PCC accreditation with the ICF, and one of the things you have to do is have mentor coaching. And I remember putting off uh, for probably a year or two before I actually did it because I was I just felt it was so scary kind of being mentor coach because what that basically means is coaching coaches in front of coaches. <laughs> but actually when I did it, I learned so much from it. Because I learned about what I learned from watching other people coach. I learned from having feedback on my own coaching. But I think the biggest learning for me was just it's about that letting go of the of the structure or the models and really just being in the moment. And I I know you often talk about this as um, a coaching session is a bit like impro- improv, you know, improvisation. Um, you've got to let the client. It's the client's time. Got to, it's about their agenda and what their needs are, and go go where they're going go where they need to go yes so i think yeah capabilities executing a particular model or process and capability is knowing when to do certain stuff yeah and, and trusting in that and trust and i think that that's thing that beyond that is a capacity is, is having a deep trust in yourself and that's when i said it's like improv yeah you have a deep trust because you talking about your existing coach mm it sounds as if they have a, a deep trust that they are, they're really challenging you, mm. but they're doing it in service of you, but they've got a deep trust of what their intuition is telling them. Yeah, this is I mean, my, the coach I was talking about before, the one who's asked me questions I can't answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's challenging to do. It's, yeah. it's actually challenging to ask your coachee something you don't think they're capable of. Yeah, that's a, a, another level of challenge. And she would clearly have belief in you to be able to go there. Yeah. So, Sarah, I'm wondering if you perceive a, a change in the relationship that coaches have with supervision as they develop and mature as coaches. I think I probably do in that... It's almost that you don't know what you don't know. So I think I have two two kind of things, two points to make here. One is I think it's a lot of it is about the quality of the supervision, whether that's one-to-one or group. Yeah. Because I've experienced lots of different kinds of supervision and some has definitely challenged me and I've got more out of it than others. But I think there's also a point about the openness. It's that growth mindset, isn't it? It's that openness to... There's always an alternative way of looking at things. There's always another perspective. And I think that when you're in the early stages of learning to coach, you do naturally get drawn and hold on to models and structures because they provide an element of security. And actually supervision might might challenge you to think about things differently, which I would argue is a good thing. But actually at that stage of your development, you may not necessarily see the value of that because you're still trying to get your head around and get build your confidence with what you've learned. Yeah, and I think in, in the different supervision models, but certainly only part of supervision is competency. Yeah. You know, you use just competency as a coach and the technique and and therefore you don't see the full value of supervision. You're you're still busy learning. I certainly went through the journey of supervision that you had to do it rather than you really something you would want to do. Yeah, And then I had an experience of supervision, which was pretty rubbish. And so that put me off supervision for quite a while. Mm. 
And then I went back to it. And then, wow, was I ready for it, you know? And so I, I do think there is a, there's a shift in terms of, well, yeah, I do supervision. It's a good thing to do versus I couldn't live without it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's core to what I do. Yeah. I wonder if there's also something, what this is making me think about, you were talking about maturity of the coach. And I was also thinking about, and maybe this isn't quite the right word to use, but maturity of the coachee. So, you know, I've had some clients who may well be relatively senior in terms of their position, but maybe have never had coaching before. Yes. And actually, you know, come into it with a bit of a mindset of more of a mentoring kind of an approach. Yes, definitely. And actually, you know, and that, and that can require, it takes quite a while, sometimes depends on the individual, but it can take a while to kind of to shift that into, I'm not here to tell you what to do. You know, that's your role. You're the expert in yourself. Um, but because their mindset isn't quite there, it, it's, it's just, do you, do you see what I mean? And, and I'm, I was just thinking about the point about you were saying to me about the maturity of me as a coach and therefore what kind of a coach I need now compared to the coach I might have had 10 years ago. I'm actually coaching two people at the moment that as an adjunct to the roles, they've both taken on some coach training. That makes them easier to coach, not harder to coach. Mm-hmm. Early on in my career, I would have been really triggered by that because I would have been concerned about them judging my coaching and whether or not I was doing it right. Mm. But it makes them easier to coach because they know, oh, this is what coaching is about. This is about this. I still own this stuff. I'm not putting on the coach to own this for me. Yeah. But yeah, I can I can just picture one guy at the moment, really senior, just really being disappointed that I wasn't just going to tell them what to do. Yeah. You know, and and they were truly shocked that, oh, right, you're not going to tell me how to do that. Yeah. And we've all all had that experience. But, yeah, it just keeps on coming. So I think you're absolutely right. You You can only coach the capacity of the coachee to be coached. Hmm. And it depends on the topic and it depends on the maturity. So I'm coaching some 27-year-olds at the moment. And that's the average, I would say the model age is 27. And it's to do with presentation. Mm. It's mental coaching. Mm. You know, we're doing a real mix of this is technique stuff, mm. which is mental coaching. But underlying it, there's some real confidence stuff. And then that's, so it's been able to switch in and out of mental training mode and coaching mode. And that is quite a dance. The other thing that's coming to mind as we're talking now is, again, think about the maturity of the coach. And again, this is another conversation we were having offline, but it's actually about coaches reflecting themselves. So supervision is one thing, but actually following a coaching session and even before a coaching session, reflecting on our experience of the client some of the things we talked about, what questions we didn't ask, what questions we avoided asking, you know. And actually, that is something for me now that is kind of like a no-brainer. Why wouldn't I do that? But again, early in my career, I'm not so sure that I would have, I wouldn't I wouldn't have asked myself, if I did it, I wouldn't have asked myself the questions I asked myself now, but I only know to ask myself the questions I ask myself now because of my experience. If 
listeners could see video of this, they know I'd be, I'm waving my reflection journal at the camera because I have this with me because, yes, I reflect before and after sessions. It's hugely valuable. Mm. One of the things that the developmentalists look at is that most learning and development is outside in. So yeah. it starts from the outside, looking at outside. So that would be models. This is what you do. It's all really external to yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, then you have to look inside of, of self. Yeah. So it starts on the outside. It moves to the inside. And then you will go on another course or you do something else. And then your learning will go outside, but then it will come back inside. And so we're going through this constant cycle of outside in. And the more mature we get, the more the development is internal, not external. Yeah. And I think that's a real evolution of you see with coaches any of the caring professions i think Mm. i can put coaching and with caring professions i think it starts on the outside and it moves inside doesn't mean to say that all that outside stuff isn't still really really good stuff no absolutely but there's something about integrating all of it isn't there there's the external stuff plus then and for me often the reflection is around transference counter-transference we've talked about that before but you know what was my part in the coaching unfolding as it did those are pretty sophisticated questions that I wouldn't have asked myself right at the start of my journey because I wouldn't have known I wouldn't have known to ask myself those questions and then there's also there's discussions of some people would say I shouldn't be sharing things about myself with the client Hmm. You know, so some models would say you never do that. And I think there's real good protection stuff in place. When you're doing as if you're doing therapy work, you know, it's, it's a good idea for serious therapists not to share personal details with their clients. Mm. There's real protection stuff there. Mm. But then I don't know very many mature coaches who would say that, Safeguarding, that was the word I was looking for, not protection. Safeguarding. But I don't think I know very many mature coaches who wouldn't share something of themselves Hmm. to advance the dialogue with the coaching. And I think, again, that's about the trust and the chemistry. Because as a client, you know, if I'm being coached, I'm sharing, most oftentimes, deeply personal things. And there's something around, not as a coach, not sharing my deepest inner secrets or anything, but just some little facets about the fact that I've got a dog or that, you know, whatever it might be, that just show your humanness. Yes, and I think early on you you wouldn't feel comfortable with sharing mm. certain things, um, but you're very clear on the boundaries later on, mm. I think, in your advancement because you're doing it in service of the client. Mm. You're not doing it as a demonstration of ego. You know, your, your ego's not in place. And I think that, again, is something that comes with the development of the client. I think things, you know, ego is more involved. Ego is always involved, you know, honestly. Yeah. You can't say where anybody is egoless. But I think it does play more of a part. Actually, why should this conversation matter to the listeners of this podcast? Well, for me, there's something around if I, you know, if if I could have listened to an episode like this, I don't know, 10 plus years ago, I think I would probably would have found it quite comforting as a coach embarking on that journey and recognizing that it is a journey that 
that it, there is this sort of constant unfolding that occurs. Maybe it's not constant, that's possibly a bit strong, but there is this journey of unfolding that occurs. And that although at the beginning it makes sense to use models and frameworks and structures because that gives you something to hang your session off and, as you said, can lead to some fruitful conversations, but to kind of have faith in the fact that it would it would evolve and that it would develop. So I think there's something for me around, as a coach, embarking on coaching as a profession having a conversation like this, learning about the development of a coach, I think is is quite valuable. I think the other thing is, is, is in some ways it might be depressing to think, you know, it never ends. Yeah. Because I'm part of the accreditation team for, for Apex, so I'm accrediting other coaches. And I read the the applications, documents that are being submitted, and I'm, I'm going, wow, this person is wow i'd never thought of that and you know i am learning from the people i'm accrediting and you know there are areas i can see oh right okay that that's not quite there yet but oh. and so again you you're always learning and it's just getting used to that this it's not a confucianist career you're never going to know everything so get used to disappointment you know it's much more Taoist than buddhist i suppose and it's in its philosophy i think if i am I'm an employer of coaches. Just having coaching is good full stop. Yeah. You know, you can have a relatively junior coach just using Tigro well. You're going to get some really good coaching. Yeah. I was in conversation with a client talking about our coaching, and we realized that if we were going to assess our coaching on how goal-focused we were, we wouldn't assess the coaching as being very successful. She has had some training in coaching. She knows the grow model. She knows the different models. She knows how to apply them. And the value she said she got from her coaching was that she didn't feel like she was being coached. It was a conversation that helped her develop, but it wasn't, the coaching wasn't on the surface. Now, I've taken that as a good thing, but I've also taken that as a question of whether or not that is a good thing. But the, I thought it was a really interesting distinction that the value she got was she, she didn't feel like she was being coached. I get a sense from some of the best coaching you've had, it's not obvious you're being coached either. No. And I, I guess what that makes me think about is, well, what does it being obvious that you're being coached look like? It's probably, what is your goal? What is the reality? You know, kind of being taken by the hand and walked through the grow model or some such thing. So as we draw to the close of this session, we've got some tips and we realised we could have lots of tips here. So we're going to give you four. Yeah. And what's your first one, Sarah? Well, for me, I think it's just that there's not a destination, I think, when you're thinking about the development of a coach. It's ongoing, it's continuous, it never ends. There's always more. So to kind of embrace that and not feel like I'm not there yet because none of us will ever be there yet. Yeah, yeah, it's all, it is all about the journey. Yeah. To use the dreaded J word from Strictly, the journey. <laughs> and I would say it's, it's, the second tip is it's not just about you and your, uh, the coach's developmental level. It's also about the developmental need of the client. Yeah. So you don't, uh, you don't have to employ guru-level coaches if you're dealing with 22-year-olds that need some career coaching. No. And the next one for me would be, and I don't think we really talked about it in the, in the podcast, is just the importance of chemistry. I think early on, coaches think I can coach anybody and they may, we all make the mistake of trying to coach people we shouldn't have. 
Yeah. Um, and it's only later on that we really get chemistry is massively, massively important. And the importance of, and this doesn't happen very often, but when it does happen, the importance of recognising when you shouldn't actually take on a coaching engagement. And, and, and stopping or moving stopping. to a different coach. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then for me, I think the, the, the final one I'd offer is, you know, it's very easy to think that development equals going on a course. And of course, you know, that can be hugely valuable and you can learn loads and I've learned loads and love going on them. But I've learned so much from being coached myself by different coaches. I've learned a lot through supervision. And of course, that point we made about that internal self-reflection as well. So to see it as a, a varied journey with lots of different elements to it as opposed to just going on lots and lots and lots of courses for CPD. Well I hope you have all enjoyed this somewhat rambling episode of the Coaching Questions. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the show. As always we appreciate any feedback. Can to respond to any questions that are out there. So please email us at info at thecoachingquestion.com. We do ask if you can subscribe and uh, give us a good rating on iTunes or your preferred podcasting platform. And on this episode, you may well have heard both of our dogs in the background. And if so, we apologise for that. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening.